AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So John, you're bringing us a story about some malicious apps that ended up in the actual Google Play Store? Yeah, so this actually happens more than you probably hear about. Yeah. Um, I know we've done some analysis uh, in the past of malicious apps and whatnot um, that have you know, managed to get their way into the official Google Play Store. Uh, this is a particular, I guess it's a little bit interesting because this um, uh, story is around a group called Sidewinder. Uh, that is uh, an advanced persistent threat group that has been mostly targeting Pakistan or Pakistani military okay. in the past. Somehow they've attributed, well, I know how they've attributed to it. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but the long and short is there were three um, apps they've discovered in the Google Play Store that uh, use a kind of zero day vulnerability that was reported by the Google Threat Analysis Group, TAG, Google's right. TAG project where they go and they analyze stuff. So they discovered this, uh, I want to say October maybe of last year, uh, the Google TAG team, this vulnerability. No, the apps, the vulnerabilities. No, yeah, just the okay. vulnerability. Got it. Um, so now um, Trend Micro has discovered that there's some apps, these three apps that have this vulnerability. They've, at the time of this article being written, Google's removed them from the Play Store, so that's good. good. Um, but the interesting thing is that these apps have been on the Google Play Store since March, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, since March wow. of 2019. Yeah. So way before the vulnerability was announced and discovered by the Google threat analysis team, this app had actually been there. Now, whether or not the vulnerability was being leveraged all the way back in March or not, it's hard to say, because I don't know if they have a history of the old apps that, you know, if it changed over time and whatnot, which, you know, tends to happen with apps, they get updated and whatnot. So, um, you know, the interesting thing about this to me is that it's leveraging this vulnerability, which is a privilege escalation vulnerability, um, in order to gain basically root level privileges on your Android device. Right. And then it can do all kinds of interesting things. And they've enumerated all the different things it can do, like um, collect all of your uh, browsing history, all of your um, Twitter, email, all that stuff, location, files on the device, camera, screenshots, that'll collect <laughs> whatever it needs to up uh, and send it up to a command and control server. And uh, it does that encrypted. The reason they're attributing this to the Sidewinder group is because the command and control servers that the data is getting shuttled to from the infected devices uh, has been previously associated with the Sidewinder group. Okay. So that's probably strong enough, although there are uh, cases that I've observed in the past of other activity where more than one actor uses a, a, um, yeah, a command and control server uh, yeah. a site just because they're widely vulnerable to the world in general, and sometimes they just get repurposed by lots of different people. I'm not saying that that's what's happening here, but it could be, um, that's why they're attributing Attribution it. Attribution is, it's, it's tricky. Is, is very difficult. Just by installing it, they could already do things on your phone without you knowing from an official store. So, you know, it's, it's a bit scary to know that that's what was going on. So just always be careful when you install something, and that applies to any operating system, and now in this case, Android. A lot of times we talk about um, mobile devices and don't sideload apps you know, from right. unknown uh, app stores, because right. that would be dangerous. But in this case, this is the Google Play Store, the official Play Store, 
Um, and there are a lot of actors who try to uh, insert their malicious apps into the Play Store and keep them kind of under wraps as long as they can and coerce people into getting to download them. I know I did some analysis, I want to say maybe one or two years ago, there was a group that was making a lot of rogue fake apps for Android that looked like legitimate games. Yeah. So they tried to make themselves look like other really popular games, but free, so you didn't have to pay for them, and they would put them up on the App Store and try to lure people to um, download them, and then it would turn your device into a proxy yeah. that they could use for proxying malicious traffic and whatnot. So yeah, my wife downloaded a, an app for like yoga and meditation, but it was just a wrapper of YouTube searches. And I'm like, what are you doing? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know what that app was doing, but it was removed immediately. Mm -hmm. But it was literally just links to YouTube videos that were embedded within the app that were just about that topic. And right, I, and so it I wasn't mean, really, so who didn't have I mean, a lot of functionality. There, yeah, there might be a web page. It's basically a web page right. inside an app. Right. There might have been, there might be a lot of those where like, you know, they, they might wrap them in that way. But I mean, those, what kind of apps were they, do you know? Uh, yeah, they actually did list, there were three of them, and there was one called uh, Camro, I think, okay. FileCrypt Manager, and CallCam. So I would just recommend people to take a look yeah. um, to see whether or not they have these apps. I believe uh, the Google Play or the Google can pull back apps nowadays. Okay. If you've installed them from the Play Store and they determine that it's malicious, yeah. that they can kind of revoke it from devices as they check in to do their updates. Um, uh, so they might have done that here. I'm not sure if they uh, they mentioned that. So camera apps make sense because I was I was just thinking about how do they get access to storage, but I guess as a camera app, you can ask permissions for your camera, for your storage, for device, and for, for everything, and you're like, of course, it's a camera app, yes, right? Right, <laughs> however, this one's even, like a lot of rogue apps actually ask you for permissions right, for right, those things. Right, right. This one didn't need to. Oh, I Because they're leveraging this zero-day vulnerability where they can escalate their privileges. Without, they don't uh, even need to ask for privileges uh, because okay. the app itself is, you know, uh, leveraging a vulnerability that allows yeah, them yeah, yeah. to basically take all the privileges without asking you. Gotcha, um, all right. So. Uh, I missed that. Makes it even worse. Yes. <laughs> in that respect, because now you have no idea that it's you know got you know full access to your phone okay. um, while it's running. I don't know. Did you have any thoughts, Mike? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, great, great summary. One interesting detail: if you actually click down and look at the, the blog post actually from Trend Micro, um, they, they mention kind of how uh, the apps access uh, get access to what command and control and it, it looks like it's using actually some google play store uh reporting mechanism this apps conversion tracking if you kind of click and drill down into it and kind of go down a rabbit hole uh where they may actually been been monitoring and getting events whenever someone was actually installing it and that got reported back up to basically the um you know their account on google google play store so kind of an interesting way they're integrating with some of these native capabilities in the play store to you know uh, to you know, install the applications. Right, right. People shouldn't ever assume that all of the apps in the official Google Play Store or even the uh, Apple uh, iOS Store, that they're all legitimate and uh, safe. Usually they are, and both of them, both Google and Apple do a really good job vetting and checking to make sure that no bad apps get um, you know, distributed through there. But every now and then a few slip through. Um, so just be careful about what apps you install. And I always say, you know, kind of look at it. If 
only a f handful of people have ever installed it. Um, you know, there might be something not cool about this app. Maybe it's not really the legitimate one, especially if it's something pretending to be something else. Hey, Mike, uh, I, you know, we talk about skimmers all the time with respect to ATMs and stuff, um, but it looks like you're looking into a story about skimmers at gas stations and uh, some recent changes in policy there and, and activity related around that. Yeah, so, so actually the, the policy changes went in effect back in, in 2015. So uh, when they introduced the, new, you know, the chip and pin, the EVM transactions, uh, they put an exemption in place specifically for, for gas pumps. So uh, basically whenever there was any fraud due to skimming, uh, gas stations were not liable. Uh, so they put an exemption in that went to 2017, then they delayed it again to this October. So October 2020, that exemption uh, basically uh, is up. And, and from then on, uh, you know, gas stations will be responsible for any uh, any fraud due to, to skimming at their uh, their properties. So there's speculation this may cause a, a rise in, uh, in activity against gas stations or, or fuel companies. You know, they're particularly vulnerable because um, they still utilize mostly the, the magnetic strips versus chips and pins, you know, at, at the fuel pumps. Uh, they usually don't comply with the PCI uh, compliance that requires that you uh, encrypt any of the strip data uh, in transit uh, or if you store it like locally, like say, you know, in the back next to the, the Pepsi machine uh, on the database, you need encrypted there. Uh, they typically don't. So, uh, you know, kind of prime uh, targets, not only for skimmers, but to access it, uh, you know, any of the, um, uh, you know, networking for any of these companies, any of the point of sale networks that they have, uh, you know, where the track one, track two data is kind of available uh, to be compromised. The big reason there's been this exemption, this constant delay is, you know, it's, it's a large cost for, for gas stations, especially smaller ones, to, to do a, a complete, you know, re retrofit and replace all these gas pumps. So they've been kind of pushing things off, um, you know, uh, to the point where, you know, the exemption is going to run out. And, uh, and now these uh, gas companies have to start putting some concessions in place to make sure that, uh, that this data is not being stolen. Did I understand right that as of October last year, um, the gas stations are liable if there is fraud so that they would have to, um, as opposed to like maybe a credit card company or something, or like what was the story there? Yeah, so, so it's, 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 this, it's October 2020. So there's still another, you know, uh, nine, 10 months. And again, given that window is kind of closing, the expectation is there may be a rise. It, what I found most interesting, though, in the story as you kind of read through it, is just because in you know in 2020 October comes around doesn't mean everybody's going to replace all their gas pumps and you know some of these smaller businesses may look at you know different compensating controls right so I was reading you know and you know they got to kind of weigh the the risk uh, right of compromise to, to kind of what the cost is of doing kind of a full um, retrofit of all their pumps so they talked about installing cameras uh, requiring that customers come inside and pay right at the register. Um, looking at maybe doing some kind of workarounds for encryption, right? If they are storing, uh, you know, the data local, uh, kind of locally in the uh, uh, before they send it to the bank. So it's kind of funny thinking about not just you know cause people apply these risk mitigation, uh, you know, workarounds when you think about kind of all across the industry, not just not just gas stations, but uh, kind of to get around this, you know, this again this expiration that that they're going to become liable. They think, am I going to spend? I think they were quoting it can cost up towards a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars to completely replace all your pumps, or kind of throw some cameras in place and just, you know, I live out, you know, I'm out in the rural 
uh, road, I'm not going to worry about, uh, you know, the, the risk of someone putting a skimmer on. So it's kind of interesting when you look at kind of the risks that management they think about, um, you know, with falling victim to one of these. Right. Yeah, the, I was in Germany last year, and one thing that I noticed, well, first, the first thing was that they're probably cash first, credit card second. Um, but uh, halfway through the, through the trip, I realized my credit card had never left my hand. So they, they bring the little readers to you, and uh. for gas stations, you had to walk in and pay at the register, and you still don't give them the credit card. You, you swipe and... and, and, and so like I, it's, it's just interesting because here, like at least in New Jersey, I know that in a lot of other, we probably want the only state left where we we uh, can't pump our we own can't gas. pump our own gas, so we have to hand the credit card to a stranger. We don't see it for whatever many minutes, and that's always been odd to me that my credit card disappears from my hand for like a couple minutes. Sometimes they leave it at the state at the pump, so right, like I don't right. see it for the whole transaction. And uh, you know, there there is a big gap of time there where it could have been skimmed. So like, I'm wondering, at least for New Jersey, if that's also going to affect us for for that particular reason. Um, but yeah, I, it, my credit card should never leave my hand. I guess is the, the moral of the right. story. Right. I guess would be a, a more <laughs> ideal situation. Yeah. Right. 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 You know, um, I went to the gas station last night. And I pulled up to the pump, and I am in New Jersey, so um, we don't pump our own gas. Right. I don't know why. <laughs> but in any event, the guy comes up, and he takes my credit card. He goes, oh, this isn't going to work, but I'll try it. And I'm like, what? And he put it in. He goes, no, no, you got the chip. And it's a major chain, you know, um, but I guess they're starting to enforce this policy now. So he actually ran it as cash, and then they had to take the card inside run it through the inside <laughs> one because the gas pumps because i guess they got the chip and pin on a okay. machine on the in you know in the uh, store itself uh but the the gas pumps didn't okay. have that feature and they could tell that there was a chip so it wouldn't you know it wouldn't process it so then he went into a whole story about um, apologize you know it's right. these new fraud restrictions i said I kind of know about this. We're covering a story on it tomorrow. And he's like, what? So, um, so I guess it is kind of catching up with, you know, right. uh, reality, or at least I'm seeing that uh, some of the gas stations uh, in my area, at least, are taking some efforts to okay. uh, try to comply with this upcoming, you know, um, right. legislation or whatever it is. So, so I guess the, yes. Yeah, so in our case, our credit card is going to disappear for longer. Yeah, that's kind of, it's not great. I was like ready to get out of the car and go into the store with my card, but whatever. Um, I think it was like just this week, maybe it might be a January thing gotcha. because it hasn't happened there before. And maybe at the beginning of this year, they said, we're going to lay down the law and you got to start figuring out a, a plan. Right. Uh, because this is the first time I've been there this year and, and uh, uh, ran into that situation. So Interesting. Yeah, well, well, now I'm going to keep an eye on that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Affects any of my gas, gas filling up abilities. <laughs> and, you know, the people um, in general, you know, like I said at the beginning, we talk about ATMs, and I think people are pretty aware when you go to put your um, ATM card in to look for anything that might be artificially attached to the ATM or that looks sketchy, yeah. uh, even though there's some really good skimmers out there that are hard to spot. Uh, but the same would apply to uh, a gas pump. And, yeah. uh, you know, there are definitely uh, criminal rings out there putting skimmers on gas pumps. Right. So, like Mike said, we might see 
uh, more activity around here trying to you know, get as much out of that channel of crime using gas pump skimmers before this legislation goes in place. Because after October 2020, they probably won't be able to do that much anymore once everybody's uh, compliant. Right. The expectation is, is that if you make the gas stations liable come October of this year for any fraudulent transactions that occur, they're probably going to take steps to upgrade their gas pumps so that they don't have any possibility of having fraud and skimmers occur in their gas pumps. So Jonathan, you have a tip for anyone who's been a victim of ransomware? Yeah, so um, scouring for um, stories for today, I noticed Krebs on security had posted, posted an article about uh, this company that he had been following, I believe since uh, November last year, uh, I think virtual care provider was the name. Uh, so they got attacked with a ransomware um, last, uh, around November last year, and, and he was following uh, their, their, you know, the, the events that happened through this. And um, uh, so his article is, is something that uh, when I'm giving ransomware advice of people, when people ask me about it, I, I just never thought of saying it. And, and uh, the main thing for everybody watching is that you know you shouldn't just change like. The, your business-related passwords that the the the, the their, whatever passwords you were using in that computer are likely also compromised. Right. So you know stuff you have saved in your web browser, stuff that if you just went to a banking website, you know your personal email, anything, Facebook, Twitter, anything like that was on that computer is likely also compromised. So uh, the main reason, one of the main reasons for this that, that is explained in there, and you can look into it is that uh, one of the ransomware that was used in this case for, towards this company was uh, the, the, the Ryuk ransomware. Yeah. Uh, super popular, I guess, right now with uh, whatever actor that has been using it, possibly multiple actors, we don't know, since I think it was, was being sold as a kit. Um, and, and in this case, they, um, uh, they had, um, you know, the, the most common way of deploying this has been, I believe, some kind of phishing email with some maybe an attachment using something like Emotet, like downloading Emotet as a you know downloader. Then it gets a, a trickbot in between, okay. which is another trickbot Trojan. is super prevalent right now. Let's put it that way. But it's also really good at stealing credentials. Right. Yeah. And then they use that as a second downloader for you know Ryuk. So that's like the final stage. But you know. While people are obviously in trying to fix their ransomware issue, they forget that two other payloads were deployed, or might right. forget that two other payloads of things were deployed that did other things. So right. I think that's kind of the main moral here of the, of the story. And uh, the interesting thing, the way that I guess Krebs kind of figured this out was uh, he was in communications with this company about uh, their, their events. And, and these are people that had uh, third-party backups offline, so they were able to not pay this ransom. Okay. Um, and they were in the middle of, you know, figuring out what happened and, and how to make sure all their systems were cleaned. And um, and Krebs or somebody from his team got an email from the uh, criminals saying, uh, "We are, we still have access to certain things." And, right. and, interesting. And, it's interesting how Krebs <laughs> is like the go-between guy between criminals and the real world. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, and I guess he contacted some of the, consul the people that were consulting on this, and, and they were like, yes, we have seen, you know, 
credentials for like 300 different sites that were not related to just, you know, it was Facebook and Twitter and all those things right. that I listed. Things that they didn't think were in scope. Cor right. Including Office 365 accounts, right. the things right. that people, oh, my favorite was LastPass master passwords. Yeah. So that's, so really that's access yeah. to every other password, right. possibly if you don't have two factor or some kind of um, second factor authentication in there. Uh, so yeah, so, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of what the story was about and, and what the tip here is. Yeah, of course, you know, of course, the, you know, defense in depth and, and layer security, that's a given, like, scan your attachments in your emails if you can, make sure that you have backups that are, that can be accessed in the case of, um, uh, but also after you're cleaning up, every possible password that ever touched that network is probably also compromised, just change it. I always say reset your email um, password first because most, other websites use your email as the uh, password reset mechanism. So, you know, you want to make sure that that one where everything funnels back to, or a lot of things funnel back to it, unless they use the two-factor authentication or one-time pin over uh, uh, a phone or something like that. Uh, but a lot of them use email. So, um, if you know, you'll ensure or have a better insurance that um, uh, less passwords are going to be uh, you know, compromisable by making sure your email is covered first. Uh, because it's starting at ransomware, they, by the time you, you get uh, their files encrypted, they've already done all the lateral movement. So, so there's another reason why you should know that they've already gotten administration and a lot of things, maybe even your, you know, Active Directory controller. So at that point, if you're already hit by the ransom, I assume everything was compromised because they don't. They only deploy it once they know they have a good target. Right, right. One that they think can they will can pay. extract some money. And they will, from, yeah, 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 correct. Yeah, right. So they've been in your system probably for months, which is what happened. In right. This Figuring case. out what right. you are, what are your crown jewels, and can I extort you? Correct. For if right. I can, you know, right. uh, prohibit your access to them. Right. So to me, it was just one more thing to learn, and, and it was interesting to just something that you know you just you think. It makes sense, but you never thought of it before. Right, yeah. And if possible, again, if if whatever you're using allows for software or hardware token, yes. please, one time pass, you know, just enable it and use it. Yeah. And clearly this is a, you know, a, a medical, uh, or they provide care to nursing homes. Like, if if whatever you're using allows you to use, and if it doesn't figure out how to get it at that, to that point, because I think that also will slow the attacker down a lot. Right, right. All right, good. I'm glad that they had backups. They did. Because that's right. um, usually the, the big sticking point with a lot of people who do get compromised is right. that they don't have good backups and or they haven't tested right. recovery. And I think they were asked for like $1.5 million worth of Bitcoin, which is, I mean, that can put someone out of business very, you know. Yeah, I mean, especially a small company. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know how big this particular company was, but uh, right. it's good yeah. to know that they, um, you know, they had a plan and they were able to recover. Right. Um, but maybe they just forgot a few steps that they need to do as part of <laughs> right. the recovery process. Right. So it's interesting in the article, actually, so basically what John just mentioned, uh, they had mentioned that they had a third-party assessment. I think it was sometime over the, this past summer, uh, and they actually started some of the uh, some of these uh, steps. So they got the off-site um, backups, and so it's kind of interesting timing. You know, if this would have happened six months prior, right? Uh, seems like they may have may have had nothing, but yeah, the you know with ransomware, there's obviously the focus is decryption and your data. But yeah, you kind of don't think about 
all the other access, um, you know, that, that, and all the other potential for, for various compromise. So, yeah, you can kind of reset everything and, and assume everything's been compromised. Yeah, they, they actually, they had a quote which uh, the person, the, I think the owner of the company had an interesting quote that it was, uh, it feels like a company battling a country. And I think like that's, you know, yes, the, the resources that an attacker group might have versus them trying to, you know, do their regular business while trying to, like you said, follow up on the security assessment that told them, hey, you have this gap. Right. Like sometimes there just might not be enough time or they might already be in your system and they realize that you're patching things and they might be like, we got to pull the trigger. And right. that could have happened in this case. I mean, I don't know particularly, but if they were already in their systems and they're like, oh, they're starting to patch everything because they're figuring out what their problems were, we, th that's it. We got to pull the trigger now, try to make as much money as we can. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, it's always a, harder for defenders because, you know, you don't necessarily know as a, as a defender Right. for your organization, every single little hole. <laughs> and from an attacker's perspective, they they only have to get right once to get right. in, you know what I mean? Right. So um, not to say, not to diminish the skill set that is sometimes required to execute right. on an attack, but um, you know, it's, uh, it's much harder to detect and defend uh, in most cases than to attack, yeah. so. Um, so, and you know, it comes down to manpower and resources. How much time and manpower do you have to protect your network? And you should right. invest the time, but I think a lot of, a lot of companies and organizations, uh, especially smaller ones, might not put enough emphasis and resources uh, and money into protecting their own networks um, mm -hmm. until something like this happens. And then they're like, all right, pull out the checkbook, let's fix it, you know, right. and, and staff up, so. Um, anyhow, uh, looks like they had a plan, so I was glad to see that. And like Mike said, that they had uh, an audit started. done prior. Right. You know, so um, you know, like Mike said, if they had, maybe it would have been worse. You're a company that is recovering from ransomware. Remember to tell your employees, change your personal accounts that were being used on those systems, because it's possible that those passwords were also compromised. Starting off the new year with the internet weather, this is the first one of the year, um, surprisingly calm weather. Um, or when I say calm, I mean not much has changed from what we normally see. So I thought I'd take a look just for you know laughs at uh, port 23 TCP Telnet in terms of the most probe ports being scanned um, in terms of sheer volume, how much scanning we're seeing on that port. Uh, so we'll look at a chart at that. but. Otherwise, things are things we see all the time, or we've talked about ad nauseum on Threat Track over history. So you got Microsoft SQL Server, you've got your Microsoft uh, SMB file sharing, you got this Ethereum wallet. There's a small number of actors. They're doing a lot of scanning for this still, but I don't know that they're being a whole lot successful. There's a vulnerability in the GETH uh, wallet that I think most of them are targeting there. Uh, port 80 could just be a lot of randomness. Um, Remote Desktop Protocol through 389, we see that all the time as well, uh, but not much change you can see in terms of their position. Uh, SSH uh, 5555 TCP is um, associated with the Android debugger service, although we actually, when I look in the honeypot, I actually see a lot of uh, like TR69 uh, types of uh, requests, so I think there are some other types of devices out there listening on this port for TR69. Uh, and they try to do like, you know, inside the tags, you'll see they embed like 
you know, some shell script or something to try to uh, take advantage of something. And then 8080 TCP, just an alternate web um, port that we see a lot of. So real quick, we'll just take a quick look at uh, port 23 TCP Telnet. There's been a lot of scanning on this historically. Um, I did actually a five-year chart so we can kind of see uh, the life cycle of this over time. And there's a big uh, increase that occurred here back in the 2016 timeframe where it went, you know, from about, um, let's say a million scan pack, or no, I'm sorry, a billion scan packets per hour uh, up to like 9 billion. So that's a pretty significant, and the number of scan sources also trended with this too, although I'm not looking at that particular aspect here. But it's kind of been leveled out, I would say, for the past couple of years at kind of a baseline noise floor of scanning activity. And again, this is a lot of that uh, IoT stuff that we see all the time, looking for uh, IoT embedded devices that are listening yeah. on port 23 TCP. Mirai, I think I mentioned Mirai accounted for this really large uptick back in 2016. And there's been other families of malware like Satori and some of these other ones that are uh, variants of Mirai uh, based on the same code base uh, that have come, come and go and, and they're still around uh, as well. Well, and I feel like when I see stories about Talna, it tends to sometimes is um, maybe a local ISP that deploys like a DSL modem. Oh, so. right. And it's like they like leave. Some customer provided equipment. So like you know is every single customer in there <laughs> because that was I saw an article, a few articles about different like just local. The, the boxes are left with Telnet open, and and it's usually no one knows. It's a you know here's a box put in your house and. Right. Uh, yeah, for sure. With like DSL modems or other types of um, uh, equipment that's used to. Uh, by ISPs to get their customers onto the network. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we see like big pockets of these yeah. in a certain uh, internet service provider, like a consumer internet service provider that's providing internet access. A lot of times in other countries, I've right. seen like you get like South America, you get a big pocket in Argentina yeah. for some reason, and then you realize, <laughs> oh, there's a vulnerability yeah, on this one manufacturer's device, but that's what they deployed to all their customers. Um, so, yeah, you're right. That that does tend to happen here and there right. um, as time goes by and people find things. Because that's billions. Like the, it seems like that, that nine billion makes the, the one billion look small, but that's not nothing. No, it's not. It's a lot. Of, <laughs> well, obviously, that's why it was number one <laughs> yeah. on the chart. And it's by number one by a large stretch. Yeah. I'm not really showing the relative volume yeah. of traffic with respect to the other ports, but right. the 23 TCP scanning in general by um, sheer volume of scan traffic when you go here, so you can see it's probably like, I don't know, what is that? Like 12%, uh, something like that, of all scanning traffic. Yeah. And, and this, this other includes everything else yeah. that we see scanning on. So this is a pretty large piece of the pie. Um, the others, and then they, you see they get uh, slivered down, but right. relatively wise, there's a ton of scanning on that port. So let's look at the most sources probing. I usually like to look at this because uh, it tends to show you more activity that's related to botnet type stuff where you've got a bunch of devices starting to do things uh, scanning on a particular port at the same time. Right. Uh, you know, large number of sources increasing looking on that port. So um, again, not much change from what we've seen uh, historically. Uh, the top six didn't even move from last week. Uh, ports that we already discussed uh, up here in the, the top ones. Uh, the only 
couple that we didn't, actually the one we didn't talk about from the previous chart is 8291 TCP. So we'll take a closer look at that one real quick. Uh, and then again, we mentioned 5555 TCP, but I don't have a chart on that. So I'm just gonna show you that. And then I have uh, maybe a slightly special surprise, although it's not really exciting. <laughs> so don't, don't get all excited about the surprise I have for you. So 8291 TCP, I actually took a closer look at this one. We've talked about it on the show before. This is a port that's associated with Microtech routers. Mm -hmm. And there is a, um, uh, a botnet that uh, kind of sprung up probably in 2018 timeframe called Hajime that started to um, leverage a vulnerability on Microtech routers on that mm -hmm. port 8291. But it also, you'll notice that the scanning um, occurs in concert with scanning for port 8728. Uh, so just maybe in a slightly lower, it's probably number 11 on the top 10. Yeah. And we only showed the first top 10, but it was like 11 or 12. So um, you see that uh, red is 8291, which is the one we're talking about that showed up on our chart. But the blue, which is just slightly less, is um, port 8728. And you can see that it really, they pair together uh, in terms of their scan patterns very tightly. Uh, when the 8291 diminishes, so does 8728, and they both went down here. So for some what's reason, this, there was a... What's the scale, 1,000? Uh, so the, yes, this is uh, thousands of scan SIPs. So with them combined, it's about 4,000, 5,000 scan SIPs here. This is the 5,000 mark here. Um, but in reality, each one is probably like about 2,500 or so or something like that, because I've got them stacked together here. Um, but you can see that there was a period of time here between like September to October of 2019, uh, maybe middle of October, where it just shut down. <laughs> I don't remember if there was a reason for that. I didn't go back and look, but it has since resumed and this scan is continuing. Um, and you know, you've, like we said, there's a few thousand devices. That's decent enough for um, yeah. for a botnet if you've got control of that botnet, and um, uh, just something to be mindful of, especially if you use Microtech routers. Micro again, just like we were talking about earlier, where some providers provide certain right. equipment to customers, Microtech might be one of those types of uh, routers or endpoint devices. Um, that uh, uh, ISP might provide to a customer. Right. In terms of, I think in a lot of other countries, Microtik is very popular. Okay. Um, it's a little bit popular here in the United States as well, though. Uh, this is just a quick article that kind of talking about, uh, Radware actually put out a blog post about this vulnerability uh, and Microtik routers. And um, uh, I think they mentioned Hajime somewhere in here. Oh yeah. It's believed it's part of the Hajime botnet, uh, which I agree with. I think it is. Uh, although Hajime has since, over the past year and a half, two years, started to look and scoop up other types of devices as well, besides just Microtik ones. Okay. But it's still scanning for Microtiks. And then the last thing I thought, because you know the internet weather was a little kind of boring. There wasn't much in there. So I kind of went down below the top 10, just to see if there's anything else that kind of stuck out. Is this a, is this a surprise? This is our surprise, although don't get so excited. It's not that big of a surprise. But at least we could see that something's definitely up here with port 8081. I want to say this is probably somewhere in the top 20. I don't remember the exact number of where it was. Um, but 8081 is used a lot by various products as an alternate HTTP, usually for um, administration or management of maybe some sort of uh, middleware that you have, yeah. like Tomcat, although Tomcat's usually 8080. But you can see that there was 
kind of a quiet noise floor, less than a thousand scan sources per hour on a regular basis. And this is a six month chart, but somewhere towards the middle of last month, middle of December, 2019, there was a sharp uptick where it went from, it went up to about 10,000, 9,000 maybe yeah. scan sources per hour. And this sawtooth waveform that I always talk about is very indicative of botnet related scanning where a controller said, hey everybody, start scanning on this port and tell me what you find. And then the, the fast ones finish earlier, the slow ones take longer, so you kind of get this little decay like that. Um, I looked in our honeypot, and for the most part, I think most this was most of what I saw uh, from the port 8081 scanning is um, basically they're just doing a get, looking for, uh, seeing if it's there, uh, but they're also passing in basic uh, authentication. Yeah. And this basic authentication is, if you're familiar with like real basic web pages, you can enable basic authentication. It'll bring up a little dialog box that says enter your username and password. So like a real simple authentication, yeah. but a lot of middleware things uh, still use that uh, as easy, an authentication. Yeah, it's real easy to use in terms of you don't have to have your own um, password database or user management database in your application. Right. You can just drop a file basically, uh, an HTTP access file on the machine and you're good to go. Uh, but the interesting thing to me, I guess, is that they were all trying this. Uh, which is a base64 encoded uh, username password combination, which you can just print this, <laughs> you know, and then pipe it to base64, decode it, and you'll see that what's really being passed here is admin, username admin, password pass. So, so that's even, what they're trying to do. They're, they're not even see, trying for anything in specific. No, nah, they're like, just trying to see if the, I get in, if I get like yeah. a, a response back that says authentication successful, I don't get like a 40. I forget which one it is. There's a 407 maybe or something where it's right. like authorization denied because I didn't give the right password. If they get something other than that, they probably log it and then they go check to see, am I able to get into this, gotcha. whatever this is that's, right. that's sitting here at port 8081. <laughs> so uh, just an observation, uh, if you have stuff listening on that, you might want to uh, take a closer look. I didn't really go back and um, look at the internet to see if there's any uh, well-known web-based applications using admin and pass, pass yeah. as the password for uh, on port 8081, but I'm assuming whoever this is probably knows something I don't know and uh, is just looking for right. you know some small number of devices that might be exposed out there um, that are vulnerable to that. Recruiting another system. Right, yeah, <laughs> recruiting another web server into their, into their botnet, so. You know, we're so used to looking at just what's in the top 10, and it's the same stuff we always know, but this is something that, you know, we don't always talk about, and we're able to see that there's definitely an increase in interest there, just not enough to get it into the top 10. To see that the numbers don't come down, to me, signifies that somebody out there in the world is still putting out hardware that is still compromised or that it still has this port open because the, the criminals are going to continue looking for it if they keep finding it. So I would hope that, you know, five years later, the industry would have gotten to the point that they would have said, okay, no more telnet open to the internet. Um, I'm not sure if it'll get better. I hope it does. Um, I'm hoping that if we see a, a, another chart in five years, it's not the same.
The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.